Well, we're in 2 Timothy. Open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy, and, and it's been really powerful for me to read 2 Timothy because it's been challenging me. And I'm going to give you a few challenges here at the end of the, the message to how you can also participate in being a, a, a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, in 2 Timothy, let's read this passage together. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, Therefore... Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God. Now, here Paul is in prison, and that's why he's telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of me as a prisoner. And See, Timothy was a dynamic, on-fire pastor, young Christian, but Persecution had set in in, in in that time in Ephesus, and anybody who was actually a Christian was being killed because Nero, Emperor Nero at that time, was taking, rounding up Christians, and they were uh, hunting them down and, and bringing them into persecution in the prison and then killing them. It's not like today, being a Christian today, you can get by, and you know, but back then it was life or death. And so this is the challenge, really, is that are you willing to put your life out on the line for the name of Jesus? And that's what this message is really all about, because what it's talking about here is be courageously bold to speak for Christ. Say that with me. Be courageously bold to speak for Christ. And so the context here that Paul is writing, do not be ashamed, but that's in the negative in that because there was so much being, people were turning away from Christ. But he said, hey, wait a minute. Don't do that. Be bold for Jesus. Be strong for Jesus. I mean, these are tough times, but this is the best opportunity now to speak the name of Jesus. And so that's what he's telling to Timothy. He's saying, be bold. I'm going to have to move this guy over here. <laughs> kind of, you don't know my own strength here. So I'm one of those, I was listening to that. How many of you listen to Sunday morning Christian radio or something? It was a, I think it was a black church in the south. I mean, but they got, you know, the organ is playing every time the pastor says, and, and Jesus is coming, he's going to, and then there's, there's a little bit of, Dan, we need you on the organ back here, a little bit of, and then, uh, but he's, he's on the stage and he's really going, I don't, I don't have enough room here on this stage, but anyway, maybe we can learn a little bit from some of those uh, pastors. But so, speak, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And what he's saying here is, don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Christ. And that's why in, there's three times in this chapter, write this down, but three times in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, 1 Timothy, or, or, these are second, excuse me, I, I made a mistake here, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 8, 2 Timothy 1, 12, and 2 Timothy 1, 16. Three times he says, don't be ashamed. You see, when your life is on the line, all of a sudden, you begin to deny the master, and you begin to turn around and say, well, I hope nobody's looking at me if I'm praying here or if I'm carrying my Bible. I, I don't want anybody to make fun of me. And see, in our culture, the only thing, the worst that can happen is pretty, pretty much someone will make fun of you. But I, that doesn't even happen. I mean, it's fun, funny how in our culture you can 
Say you're a Buddhist and all of a sudden you're kind of heroic and people ask you questions. Oh, really? When did you start being a Buddhist? That's, that's cool. Or you could say that I'm Hindu and people want to know, yeah, tell me about the afterlife or tell me about what you were in your former life. Or you were, some people say they were, I don't know why it is, but they say they were a prince or something in the former life or some type of king, but now they're, you know, they're broke. But in that former life, they're always like somebody great. People want to know about that. But as soon as you tell them they're a Christian, they seem that their eyes glaze over and they lose interest. But you know what? The Holy Spirit, when you share Christ with somebody, the Holy Spirit's power is able to penetrate the heart of a human being and bring them to Christ. And, and that, so you leave the work to God. You leave the work to Jesus. And be bold. Don't be ashamed to share Christ as often as you can. Because there are people right now that are ready to listen and to hear. And they just want somebody to tell them. Just as past week, my, in our, you know, we have two Chinese uh, foreign exchange students in our house. And Lelio, he's there at the kitchen counter, and he's reading his Bible. It's a Chinese Bible. And, uh, and he says, well, I'm, I'm reading the Bible, Louie. And, and uh, Sam, my son Sam, says, uh, begin in the book of John, because if you start in the Old Testament, it's kind of like you got to get lost. But start with Jesus. Start with Jesus, because the Old Testament talks about Jesus, but get right into the Gospels. And so he's going to have a Bible study. We're going to have a Chinese Bible study in our house next week. Four Chinese students, speak all the way from China, are coming. Because, you know what, Yvonne says, do you guys want to have a Bible study? And they say, yeah! I mean, that's all it took. It's not like, oh no, they're Chinese. They, they don't want to have a Bible study. But there was Lelio with his Bible, that Chinese Bible open, studying. And so... The thing that's so amazing about the United States is we've got people from all over the world that are coming here to get an education. The best opportunities we have are to share Christ with these people that come here all over, from all over the world, and they're ready. They're eager to know what is the American culture about, and you can tell them that, man, I gave my life to Jesus, and he changed my heart. He changed my life, and he could change yours too. Especially these, these students are so just listening and gobbling, just li gobbling up the, the words. And, but you know, we don't want the cults to get a hold. What if a Jehovah's Witness started talking to them or a, a Mormon and, uh, or uh, some Buddhist? You, you don't want that. So get in there and get, the, get to them before the, the false teaching hits them. So that's what Paul is telling Timothy. And so, therefore, do not be ashamed. It's, it's a big word. But as, do not be ashamed, it's epis kunamai, and it literally means to, to do not be ashamed to disfigure or to dishonor, epis kunamai. And iskunamai is uh, literally that a word to disfigure or to dishonor, it would be like defacing a, a beautiful statue. Or There's people that, I don't know why, but they seem to, like when they go into the Louvre, people have made attempts to to destroy the Mona Lisa, or uh, there's, there's people that see great works of Michelangelo, and, and they want to hit it with a hammer. So they have to protect them. And if you go in the Louvre, the, the Mona Lisa is protected, and it's got this glass around it. And, but it's dishonoring. And what God is saying is that when you deny me in front of people, it, it's a disfigurement to really the name of Christ. And Jesus is saying that I want you not to be ashamed, but I want you to be courageous for me. And so I am not ashamed. As, uh, and also here, it's in Romans 1.16. Read this with me. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And it's the same word there that Paul uses in Timothy and also in Romans, episkunami. He's not ashamed of the gospel. Never be ashamed of the gospel. It is good news. And get ready to just tell it. I challenge you to prepare your testimony. That is, write out on, in a journal how you came to Christ and what was your life before, like before Christ. And, and since coming to Christ, how has he changed you and, and how has he transformed your thinking and your mind? And, 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 and write it out and then and, and, you know, have somebody videotape you and put it on YouTube. Or put it on your Facebook and then let people see that how God has changed you. I, because what God wants you to do is not to be ashamed of the gospel. He wants you to be so on fire for the gospel. And that's what Sarah Mason Christian Fellowship is about. Is that we're on fire. Hey, we got the motorcycle ministry. Where's Justin today? He's moving. Okay. Justin's been living with Tony and Gail and now he's got his own place, and he's moving out today. today. Here's some happy parents are getting rid of their 30-year-old son. But, you know, that's what it's all about. It's kicking out the kids, you know. And um, <laughs> tough, tough love. <laughs> what am I just talking about? Okay, the, uh, the motorcycle ministry. Justin's a part of Bobby, John Nepler, and they got a motorcycle. There's T-shirts in the back. You could buy a T-shirt for $10, and it's got their, their logo over their, their motorcycle ministry. But these guys are out, not ashamed of Jesus, and they're out at the wall on Ocean Beach. They're sharing Christ, and people walking by, and he says, hey, do you know Jesus? And people will, uh, who are you? And they, they start talking to them, and they, and they say, you want prayer? And they pray with people. But that's the, that's the cool thing is that there's people that are ready to say, yeah, would you pray for me? I, 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 I'm going through a tough time. I've just been walking here by the beach, and I... I you know, got kicked out of the house, and I don't know what to do, but people need prayer. And so that's your job. Remember that every single day there's people that you encounter that need encouragement, that need some uplifting word. And the uplifting word is Jesus loves them, the gospel, the good news. So First Timothy, Timothy was, what was happening here that Paul was talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he was losing his boldness for Christ. He wasn't cold he was getting cool. And that's why three times in that first chapter, he says, don't be ashamed, Timothy. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. I, you know, it's one of those things that all of us at one time or another, let's face it, we've, we've displayed shame we've displayed in the name of Christ and that we had opportunities to share Christ and we didn't do it. We thought, well, they, they might, you know, they might make fun of me. They might reject me. They might not... Uh, they, those people are too big. They're, they're too up there. And, and why would they want to come down here to my level and listen to me about who Christ is? Well, that's what Paul was telling Timothy. Timothy was losing his boldness, and that's why it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 10, And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. So here is Paul writing to, Timothy, uh, to the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, and says, hey, Timothy is coming, but accept him and encourage him because, you know what, he is, he's going through these uh, uh, 
uh, fearful times in his faith, but just let him know that, man, to be follower of Jesus is where it's at. And that's the power. That's the strength. And so they were telling him, he was telling the church that when he comes, see that he may be with you without fear. I can't imagine what Timothy was like, but it's just from reading all the descriptions, these little tidbits throughout the Bible, that he was a young guy that was struggling with his identity as a pastor and somebody who was trying to serve Christ. It was still too much persecution and too many things. He's looking behind his shoulder and he's, and he's like, who's after me? But you know what? Paul was there to mentor him and to say, Timothy, be bold and courageous for Jesus. And now, true followers of Jesus, and write this in your notes, true followers of Jesus will suffer persecution. If you're a true follower of Christ, you will suffer persecution. And that's why it says in 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you desire to live godly as a godly Christian man or a woman, you're going to get made fun of, you're going to get put down, you're going to be uh, rejected by people. If you're an athlete, you're going to be, you could be even benched because you're talking about Christ or uh, your job. You might not be promoted because you, they know you're a Christian or uh, it's a strange culture we live in. But you know what? God transcends any constraint man may put on you by the power of his Holy Spirit. So speak boldly. And you know what? God will get you out of that job and he'll put you in another job that's even better. But what God is saying is that don't be afraid of persecution. Persecution goes hand in hand with boldness for Christ, following Jesus. And also he says here in Matthew 26, open up your Bibles to Matthew 26. We're going to read a little bit here. But in Matthew chapter 26, a real neat story, what happened here with the Apostle Peter. And, and here it says in verse 69, or getting towards the end of the passage, I'll begin reading in verse 57 actually, Matthew chapter 26. And it says, Those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. See, what had happened was that Peter, Jesus was arrested and taken to the Sanhedrin here, to the Jewish high court. And Peter was kind of following in the background, in the shadows, and not wanting to be seen. But he's, he's like, they're taking Jesus in. This is the end. All this three years of following Jesus has turned into nothing. Now they're going to crucify him. And then verse 59, it says, And the chief priests and the elders and all who, the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. You see, what they were trying to do is that they have a court there to condemn Jesus. And they said, let's get some people that can testify against them. They just make up a lie. And they couldn't find anybody. But finally, they found two people that had actually heard Jesus say, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. They thought they were, he was talking about 
the, the temple in Jerusalem, but really he was saying, this temple, my body, that in, you destroyed this temple on the cross, and in three days I will rise from the dead. So they're twisting the truth around, and they're saying that Jesus is blaspheming God by speaking against the temple. And then it says, in verse 62, And then the high priest arose, and he said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. What Jesus was doing there was quoting Scripture from the prophet Daniel, and, and he was just he was quoting the scripture and, and from Isaiah also, and that you're going to see the Son of Man coming. And, but even the priests who knew the Word of God did not get it. It didn't click with them because they were not really, they, they, they didn't understand the power of God. They didn't understand the power of Scripture. And that's why it says in verse 65, and the high priest tore his clothes saying, and that's what they did back then when something was just so, they considered blasphemous, they would just rip their clothes to shreds. And he had spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look now, you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they answered and said, he is deserving of death. Then they spat on his face, Jesus' face, and beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands and saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? And then verse 69, now Peter sat outside the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. This is the first time he's been accused of being a Galilean or being a part of follower of Jesus, but he denies it. He's ashamed. He says, I can't accept that. I, no, I'm not. And you know who came up to him? It was a servant girl, a person of the lowest part of the community and culture and status at that time. Nobody that is really high up in, in the status of Jewish culture, but a servant girl. Hey, you, you, you are one of those disciples of Jesus. I've seen you. Peter says, no way. I, I don't even know who the guy is. And then that's the first denial. In the 70, it says, in the 71, and when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. The second time he denies it, he swears. I swear I don't know who this man is. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who this Jesus is. And then, third time, it says, A little later those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you are also one of them, for your speech betrays you. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus who said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. You see, here, Peter, ashamed. Ashamed that, because it meant that 
if he admitted the Jesus knowing him, that he would be persecuted, that he also would find his life on the line. But Jesus already knew that. Jesus already knew that, Peter, you say you're going to stand up for me, but I'm going to tell you right now, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter denied it. He said, no way, Jesus, I would never do that. You know, in our Christian lives, we think, I would never do anything to dishonor the Lord. I would never do anything. But you know, you find yourself at times and you battle. And that's what the Christian life is. It's a spiritual warfare. And it's saying, are you going to be ashamed of me or are you going to be bold for Jesus? And every single day we're confronted with that. And Jesus said, don't be like Peter. I don't want you to be like that, that example in that situation. I want you to be the opposite. I want you to be bold for me because when it counts is when you're confronted, when you're challenged for your life. And so there is recovery though. And that, that is the thing that's so far out, and I, I really love this, is that there is recovery even after failure. And that's what happened with Peter. And in John 21, Jesus asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? The first two times he says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter couldn't say agape. He said phileo, which is Jesus, I like you. I don't can't say I love you, but I really like you. It wasn't until that third time he says, you know, I, I like you. And Peter, Jesus said, you know what? You're going to find you're going to be confronted with issues in your life and you're going to be persecuted. But you know what, Peter? I, I'm telling you right now that you have to make a choice to follow me and this is going to be the best thing in your life. Now, when you're ashamed, you know what? You're useless for God. When you're ashamed of Jesus, you are, God can't use you because you're not there to speak up for him. When every time you show shame, every time you deny the speaking of the gospel, you're, you're, not, you're invalid in your effectiveness as for the purpose of why God created you and to proclaim the good news. And that's what happened with Peter. He was useless for God at that time because of his shamefulness of the gospel. But you know what? Peter was restored in Acts chapter 2. Here is a man that was restored, and you see his life in Acts chapter 2, and this is a man that did 180 degrees from the person that was denying Jesus and now speaking for, before thousands of people saying, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the Savior of Israel, and he's the Savior of the world. And that's what God is saying is that you can be restored too. If there's any ever time in your life where you have denied Christ, or you have been ashamed, you know what Jesus says? I can restore you. Amen. I can make you new again. And I can give you that boldness that you lack right now if you just turn to me. And, and that's, the, that, uh, that's the thing that's so incredible about Jesus, that he loves to restore people. And, but just say, you know what, Jesus? Forgive me. I did not tell that person about your love and about what you've done for me and forgive me. And you know what God can do? He can restore you, and he can give you another opportunity. But you have to say, this time I'm going to take it. I'm going to share my faith. God is ready to use you, but if you are ashamed, you can't be effective for him. So Timothy was being exhorted not to cool down in his faith, but to stay on fire. And that's why Paul was telling him to rekindle the fire that is in you. Reignite that flame, Timothy. So prepare for the cost of discipleship. 
means suffering. And that's why in 1.8, again, it says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings. Share with me in the sufferings of the gospel, according to the gospel of God. So, power of God. Share with me in the sufferings. And, and the word for uh, share with me in the sufferings is all one big word in Greek. It's soon kakao patheo. I know it sounds like a bad word. Soon kakao patheo. And, uh, but it just really means, it, it's one word. And it's the only time that it's used in the New Testament. Share with me in the sufferings, Timothy. Now, we're all saying to people, Hey, share, hey, want to share this piece of pie? And, oh, yeah, sure. You guys want to share a, uh, you know, you go on a trip or something. We could share a room, and, you know, we could make, save money, and uh, uh, or we, could, we could share on a, on a bus trip. We could share on a plane trip. We could, we could do all these things you can share, all the benefits of sharing with somebody else. And, in fact, and Yvonne says that, you know, in kindergarten, they always say, taught to share. And she says, if you ever want to, you know, all adults need to re, uh, take kindergarten again because in kindergarten you learn all the basics of human life and human standards and what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. And, and uh, you know, ki- kindergarten... Yeah, everything you learn, you learn in kindergarten. And that's what Yvonne is relearning again, just all the important issues of life in kindergarten. It's about sharing. But you know what? Paul is saying... I want you to share with me, Timothy, something that is the greatest blessing in the world, the sufferings of Jesus. Share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And now, a lot of people say, well, I, don't, I, I want to be a Christian, and I want all the good things that come with being a Christian. I want to, you go to church, you hang out, you go downstairs, you get a big plate of food and, and, you know, just all the good stuff that goes being with a Christian. They have special events and uh, we're going to do another one of those boat trips again later on in the year, you know, Harbor Cruise and we're going to, but a lot of fun things of being a Christian, a lot of benefits to being a part of the family of God in this community. But one of the benefits, and you might not see it as a benefit, but is sharing in the sufferings for the gospel. The reason why it's a benefit is because when you share in the sufferings, when you're, when you're suffering for Christ, you're actually understanding the heart of Jesus. And you're actually, because what he suffered, you experience that now I know what God went through for me every time you're persecuted for Christ. And that's why Paul is telling Timothy, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. So, soon kakao patheo, and suffer the hardship together. So there is reward for being bold for Jesus. There is reward. And if you look at your Bible in Matthew 10, open up your Bibles to Matthew 10 and read a few of these verses here because this is a powerful passage in verse 32 and, and following. This is Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and following. It says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I also will deny before my Father in heaven. And do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, 
and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a, a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take uh, his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Powerful words. And, you know, you might be thinking, well, Jesus, this is pretty, pretty tough things to believe in, that you want me to deny my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, and my own children. And what was happening here, what Jesus was using was called Jewish hyperbole and using uh, a, a, an extreme hypothetical in order to make a point in that in order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be completely sold out to the gospel of Christ and say, Jesus, no matter what, what it takes, I'm going to be your follower. I'm going to give up my life and my will and give up my desires so that your kingdom will be glorified, so that you can get all the praise in my life. And, and that's what Jesus is doing here, is using this Jewish hyperbole in order to communicate a thought. And people thought, this is too extreme. How can we accept this? But you know, anybody that's a true follower of Jesus gets it. He says, I understand that Jesus Christ is number one in my life. And he came to bring a sword because I'm telling you, the, the hardest people to reach are those in your family. And you know what? And as soon as you talk about Christ, there's a brother over here that's going to start cussing at you and swearing, don't talk about your Jesus. Or somebody in your family is going to say, you know what? We don't want to hear it. And that's what happens within a family. And that's what the sword means, that there's a division. But you have to take a stand. He says, even though I'm being persecuted for my faith, I'm going to take a stand for Christ. And the best way to take a stand is by living an example that is right on for Christ. Don't just make it words, but be a follower of Jesus who is doing the work of God, who is saying, I am going to follow Jesus, but you know what? You can look at my example that I am a follower of Christ so, therefore, whoever, read it with me. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. See the benefits. The benefit of confessing Jesus and not being ashamed is that Jesus will speak highly of you before his Father. Jesus is saying, Lord, look at Tony. Tony is a follower of me. He is one of mine. And, Amen. you know, so that's what you need to do. And that's what you, you, when you confess, you see what Jesus does. And so Jesus is not ashamed to call his brother or sister. So look at, at Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 10. Open up to Hebrews 2. And it's an incredible passage here. Hebrews chapter 2, towards the end of your Bible, going towards the, uh, the latter part. Hebrews chapter 2, and, and following, it says, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. 
in the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here I am and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And that's us. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself had suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. You see, because... He's not ashamed to call you his family. Can you imagine what it's like for Jesus when we're ashamed of him? He says, wait a minute, you're ashamed of me? I've never been ashamed of you. I stand up for you and I declare your name before my father. And I'm, I'm there when you're tempted and when you're suffering, I'm there to get you through it. So God is not ashamed of you. And that's why in Hebrews eleven sixteen, 16, it says here, it says, uh, open up your Bible, Hebrews eleven sixteen. We're going to a lot of Bible reading here, 11, 11 16, and it says, uh, but now they desire, a, well, in verse 13, it says, these all died in faith, not having, is Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, because Jesus loves you so much, he has prepared a city for his children and those who are not ashamed, and those who are declaring the name of God. You see, Dave, Jesus is not ashamed of David. King David, he did shameful things. King David was a man that was after God's heart, but yet here's a man that committed adultery, and, and he committed murder, and, and he was somebody that was just so far away from God and, and got into uh, the, his own lifestyle that God said, you know what, David, this you have fall, fallen so far away from me. But when David repented, and David said, Lord, forgive me, and you read that throughout the whole Psalms, Jesus is not ashamed to call him his brother. Peter, Jesus is not ashamed of Peter, because even though Peter denied Jesus there at, at, in three times, you know what? Jesus said, Peter, I forgive you. And Peter became the greatest evangelist there at that time in Acts, just proclaiming the name of God, the name of Jesus. So God says, I'm not ashamed to be called Louis' God. You know what, Louis, you're kind of messed up in a lot of ways, but you know what? My son Jesus died for you, Louis, and so I'm not ashamed of you. You stand righteous before me because I see my son Jesus in you. That's what God says. Now, Louis, by yourself, 
I, you know, apart from me, you can do nothing. But in Christ, you are dynamic and you can do anything. And, and so I'm not ashamed to call you my brother. I'm not ashamed to call you my son. So if Jesus is not ashamed to be called your God, how can you be ashamed to name the name of Jesus and to be called a Christian? Think about that. If he is not ashamed to be called your God and says, man, I'm, I'm the God of Louis. Louis, how can you stand there and deny Christ by not speaking boldly for him and obeying him and when the opportunities come? You see, you can't work both ways. You have to be consistent with God and say, God, I'm going to be faithful to you just as you are faithful to me. And so how not to be ashamed of Christ? In some ways, how not to be ashamed of Christ is that First Tim- the 2 Timothy 1.6 says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying of my hands. So this is the very key point is what Paul is making is that in order not to be ashamed is that you stir up that gift that God has given you. And you stir it up by really getting involved in ministry. You get involved in a home fellowship. You get involved in a small group. You get involved in, in, in being a part of the culture of the church. And all of a sudden what God does is bring this dynamic structure in your life and that you are involved and intertwined in the fabric of, of, of the Christian life and, and, and you're stirring up that gift and that which God has given you and now you're, you can use it for God. You see, you never understand the gift of God apart from service and ministry because once you're in service and ministry, then you begin to discover your gift of God. And that's what gives you that fire and that's what gives you the flame and, and, and because when you say, you know what, I don't have any talent or I don't have any abilities, but all you have to say is that I just want to serve Jesus. I'm willing to do the lowliest jobs for Christ. And God begins to stir up the gift in you and you discover how God is working, what kind of gift he has given you in your life. So Paul says here, how not to be, uh, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So boldness is based on Jesus' saving power. And that's in 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. It says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality and light through the gospel. What is so powerful about this verse is to show you the power of God to save you and to keep you. And regardless of what you've done or where you've been, because in Christ, God's power is able to hold you forever and all eternity. And so the challenge this week for you, write these challenges down in your Bible or write down in your notes. At least once this week, introduce Jesus into a conversation with a non-Christian friend. You know, take that challenge and say, I want to tell you, you know, if somebody is going through fear, somebody is going through a divorce, somebody is going through a financial issue, all you have to say is, hey, do you want to pray about it? Let's ask Jesus to help us right now. God can help you. Be bold for Christ and don't be ashamed. People love prayer. People will say, you know, would you pray for me? I I don't know. I remember even as a college student, some of my first jobs, I remember working for a. I worked for IBM. I was, a, but I worked in the warehouse at IBM in college, and I, I used to, uh, you know, back in the mainframes were this tall, and I used to push mainframes around, and, and uh, you know, you have more power in a, 
you know, a, a watch, a little, and he did in those big mainframes. But one of the guys there said, uh, Lou, you're a Christian, right? And I said, yeah. And he says, would you pray for me? I'm, I'm going through a divorce with my wife. He was like 35 years old, and I'm 19. And he's asking for prayer because he said, who can I turn to? I don't know anybody. I need help. And he says, Louie, would you pray for me? And we prayed right there, right there in the warehouse. Because here was a man that's, that, that said, I need to know, I need to know the, the assurance that I can make it through this thing. See, you have opportunities. And that's why the challenge is just to introduce Christ in a conversation. And also invite a non-Christian friend to church with you and pray that Jesus will meet them there. So invite somebody to Sarah Mesa Christian Fellowship. I love it when you're walking through the door and you're introducing me to your neighbor or a friend that's come for the first time. Julie just brought some friends from Wisconsin and, you know, these Green Bay Packers here. <laughs> and, but that's the, the important thing about being a Christian is always inviting. You, as a, in our church, I want us to be known as an inviting people because you know what you're inviting them to? You're inviting them to life. You're inviting them to the, the benefits of what it means to be a Christian, the benefits of what it means to be a child of God. There's all the benefits. And so what God is saying is that invite people to these benefits because these, this is what life is all about, knowing really who God is through a personal relationship through Jesus. And so also carry your Bible to work class or library and openly read it at some point during the day, you know, in your lunch break. Just get your Bible and go eat your apple out in the patio there or wherever it is and, and just uh, do your, your reading through the Bible in a year. So there's your opportunity to take that. And, and you know what? It's okay if you miss out a little bit of food. Uh, for, you know, you, know it just, uh, you can just munch on your lunch there while you're reading your Bible. And then Respond proactively when the name of Jesus is used as a curse word. You know, we hear, hear people use this a lot, and people swear. And all you have to say is that, you know what, I am a Christian, and that offends me, what you're saying. I wish you wouldn't use that word around. But you know what? People don't know that. We're, we're living in a culture where bad words are just a part of mainline society. People don't know that it's bad anymore because it's been ingrained in our culture. There used to be a time when somebody would say a bad word and people's heads would turn around. But now you can be standing in line at the store, people are swearing, and it's like, okay, this is just everyday life. But you know what? You can turn around and say, hey, I wish you wouldn't use my Lord's name in vain. Did you know the Bible says that you will be punished? Well, I don't know how they would act that, but <laughs> go to the end of the line. So, but what God is saying is that I want you to be bold for me. Be courageous. Don't be ashamed to speak. There's a lot of opportunities. And start a lunchtime Bible study at work or at school. Just say to those people around you, hey, you guys want to have a Bible study? Okay, we're going to meet here at, at 12 o'clock on Tuesday. We're going to bring your lunch, and we're going to have a Bible study here. And if you don't have a Bible, well, I'll bring a couple extra. Everybody has a few extra Bibles in their house. You pass them around. But what God is saying is that you have opportunities, and the best way to use those opportunities is to be bold and to be, see, be proactive in, in the opportunities that God has given you. So, many opportunities, amen? amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you've given us the incredible life of a believer, and what all the benefits, and even in sharing in the sufferings of, of your your gospel, that, that is a benefit, Lord, because we know that the power of God 
is demonstrated through persecution. When, whenever we're going through a tough time, it's an opportunity to see the power of God working. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in Sarah Mesa Christian Fellowship and our people, that we would be bold for Jesus, bolder than we were last week, and use the challenges here today to say, yes, I'm going to speak up. I'm not going to be silent anymore. I'm going to demonstrate the power of God by letting your, your Holy Spirit work in my life. If this morning, you know, with your heads bowed and eyes closed, you, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can invite him into your heart. Pray this prayer with me, just silently, right where you're seated. Dear God, I need Jesus. I invite you, Jesus, to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I have fallen so far away from you that I, I need to come back. And I want to get right with God. And I want to be a part of your family and share your benefits of what you've offered me. Life in Christ and peace through the, the Prince of Peace. So, Lord, I believe that you did die, you were buried, and you rose again from the grave on the third day. And now, Lord, I, I want to live for you. I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be a, uh, somebody who is bold for Jesus, not cold and, and turned uh, to, on a low degree. I want to be high uh, for, for you, Lord. So, Lord, help me when I'm weak. Strengthen me where I'm failing. But most of all, Lord, I want to let you know I love you and I'm ready to follow you wherever it takes. And all God's people said, Amen.